Let's pray. Jesus, we are gathered here to to hear your voice as our shepherd to lead us, to guide us, to correct us, to grow us. So would you be at work by your Holy Spirit in in us, each individually in us as a body of believers gathered? Would you be at work? Speak to us. We want ears to hear the voice of our shepherd. And we want to follow you to put into practice the things you tell us. So be at work in us today for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Last time we looked at Acts chapter 2, talked a little bit about followers of Jesus being given new identity. A corporate, a group identity. Followers of Jesus publicly identify with Jesus and his community by being immersed in water. This is an outward expression of being immersed with the Holy Spirit who was poured out on them when they received the good news about Jesus. When they entrusted themselves to him, they became connected with Jesus, united with him in his death. And in his resurrection, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The, the me I used to be is dead and gone, crucified and buried. A new me has been raised to life because Christ is now living in me. He has taken up residence in me. He is remaking me. The life I now live is defined by the gospel, the good news about Jesus and my new identity in Christ. I now live dependent, trusting in the God man who loved me, who gave his own life on the cross for me, who now fills me with himself and defines who I am. I now lean into him for strength, for courage, for direction, for everything. My new identity is defined by Jesus in me. But this is not only an individual and personal thing. As a follower of Jesus, I am also immersed into a new community. Jesus redeemed and purified. Titus 2, 1 Peter 2 says, A people for himself, for his own Possession. He redeemed us. He purified us to be His people. 
We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 last time. Just as the body is one and has many members, all the members, members not card-carrying members of an organization, but members, digits, extremities of an organism. Hands, fingers, eyes, nose. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized, immersed into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. As believers in Jesus, we've been immersed into the body, this one body in the Holy Spirit, diverse, unique, distinct members made part of something bigger than ourselves, individual parts of an organic whole, the body of Christ, the church. The church is a community that is defined by and shaped by the gospel. That's what I want to talk about this morning. The gospel creates the shape, the boundaries of this thing we call the body of Christ, the church. The gospel creates the boundaries of this community. The gospel divides people. It divides all people into two categories. Believers, unbelievers. Those who are being saved those who are perishing. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 proclaims the good news, the powerful cross of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see the division there. The good news about Jesus, about the cross, divides people into two categories. Those who are being saved, those who are perishing. The good news of the cross might sound oxymoronic to you. How can crucifixion in any way be good news? This sounds foolish to the world. But to those who believe in Jesus, to whom it has been given to understand what we as sinners deserve, what Christ paid for and purchased for us there on that cross, the cross becomes the most soberingly beautiful thing in all the world. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 23 We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the good news of Christ crucified divides all humanity into two categories. Those who reject this message as foolishness, those who are perishing, and those who are being saved by it, those who are believing in Jesus. 
The gospel of the cross is what defines this new community called the church. Blood-bought believers to whom Jesus is their only hope. Believers immersed in the Holy Spirit, then immersed in water as a visible sign of their belonging to Jesus and to His people. The gospel creates clear lines. Those who are being saved, those who are perishing. Those lines are not always so clear to us. We, we ought not assume that those who are inside a church building are part of the church. We ought not assume even that all those who have been baptized with water have been regenerated or baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, we do we run around being suspicious? No. We ought to preach the gospel to everyone, to ourselves, and trust God's Spirit to do His work to convict and to draw sinners, whether inside or outside the visible church, to true repentance, true faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul outlines the great divide between Jew and non-Jew and points to the powerful gospel of the cross that breaks down the barrier and unites these two irreconcilably diverse people into one body. God had to reveal this truth to Peter in a three times repeated vision in Acts chapter 10 so that when he was invited to a Gentile's house, he went. And this is what he said. He makes it clear he's still struggling with this. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He said to them, this is, he just showed up, he went into a Gentile's house. Jews don't do that. They keep themselves separate. They keep some, themselves clean. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. It's unlawful. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter then goes on to, he actually asked, what, what did you, this was a divine messenger sent, go get Peter, he's got a message for you, he's like, so, so what do you want from me? Well, tell us about Jesus. So Peter proclaims the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Verse 36, he preached Christ crucified and resurrected. The Lord. He said in verse 43 to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water 
for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. The Jewish believers who had come with Peter were eyewitnesses. God has poured out His Spirit on non-Jews just like He had on Jewish believers in Jesus. Immersing them into one body. Peter saw no reason for withholding the outward sign of unity with the church from these Gentile believers who had already now experienced having believed in Jesus, having experienced the spiritual reality to which water baptism points. When answering criticism from the Jewish church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11, Peter reports... As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with, immersed in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Paul, apostle to the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2, lays out this great divide between Jew and Gentile and says, But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Notice the triune God there through Jesus. We have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is mind-blowing. This is earth-shattering for this culture, for this the divisions that existed at that time. Jew and Gentile now made one in Christ, one new man. 
given access in one spirit to the Father through the work of Jesus, made fellow citizens, made members of the same one household of God. Paul uses a a building metaphor here. Paul describes the church here as the household of God. A family. Adopted in. Brothers. In the same family with the same father. The idea of a structure. One whole structure joined together. One holy temple built together to be a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. A building not of brick and mortar, but of people. Peter also describes the people of God this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. You yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices as acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Him. We are being built together as living stones in this spiritual dwelling place for God. He dwells in this body, the church. This spiritual house, the church, has been built on one foundation. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. The cornerstone establishes the shape, the contour of the structure. Both Old and New Testaments point us to Jesus. If you don't start with Jesus and build on the foundation laid in Scripture, you're building on sand. According to Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 6, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is the cornerstone. Rejected by many. Many see the cornerstone and turn and build in a different direction. In the dirt, in the sand. Jesus, the cornerstone, sets the shape, sets the direction of the building. According to Ephesians 2, Jesus is not only the cornerstone, He is also the mortar that binds these living stones together. It is in Jesus that the whole structure is joined together, being built together. Whom, in whom the whole structure being joined together. Jesus is the glue, the adhesive that bonds believers together into this one body. Peter knew these truths. Peter taught these truths. But even for Peter, it was difficult to live out these truths. 
It was difficult for him to live consistent with what he knew, with what he believed. Paul records for us in Galatians chapter 2 a difficult time in the early church. Paul says, Galatians 2.11, But when Cephas, another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was rebuked. Why? Because his conduct was not in step with the gospel. His life was not in line with the cornerstone Jesus. Peter understood God shows no partiality. Peter Understood that whoever believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name, Jew and Gentile alike. Peter understood that those who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Jesus had broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peter had commanded that baptism be extended to Gentile believers, including them in the community. He had advocated for them in Jerusalem that God had given the same spirit to believing Gentiles as he had to Jews who believed in the Lord Jesus. Peter knew, Peter believed the right things, but out of fear of what other people would think, he separated himself from Gentiles. And what he did might not seem to be that big of a deal. He stopped eating with Gentile believers. Maybe he sat at a different table. After all, brothers from James were visiting. It would make sense to extend hospitality to them, sit with them, right? I mean, why is that such a big deal? However, he justified it in his own heart, in his own mind. What he did, Paul says, is contrary to the gospel. He's living and consistent with the message, the good news message he was proclaiming. His conduct was not in line with the good news about Jesus. He broke fellowship with other believers. He acted hypocritically. He was two-faced. He led others astray into his own hypocrisy. He acted as if he were better than other believers, that he was above them in some way, separate from them. This was a serious offense to the gospel. Unity among believers is a big deal. So big that in John chapter 17, the night before he went to the cross, Jesus Four times prayed for our unity, unity among his followers. 
Jesus makes this a big deal. Because he says to his father in this prayer that it is because of this unity, unity among his followers, that the world would know that the father, that that the world would believe that Jesus was sent by his father, that the world would know that the father loved these followers of Jesus like he loved his own son. He prays that the kind of love the Father has for His only Son would be in them. That they would extend love to one another. This was such a big deal. That Paul didn't poke Peter aside privately and ask him, what what are you thinking? What are you doing? Let's talk this through. No, since this was such a central gospel issue, Paul rebuked him to his face publicly in front of everybody, in front of all the Gentiles he was snubbing, in front of all the Jews he was fearing and seeking to impress. A few things we can learn from this. Don't underestimate the powerful desire to please or to impress other people. Don't underestimate that in your own heart and life. Say, oh no, I don't care what anybody thinks. And then it happens. Peter was paying attention to what others thought of him and he lost sight of the gospel. He lost sight of the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for sinners. And we're all sinners, Jew or Gentile. Rich or poor, slave or free, doesn't matter. He began to fear other people and their opinion of Him more than He feared the Lord God Almighty. This is why. Because we all are in danger of as... Paul Tripp likes to say, losing our gospel minds. We need to be meditating on reminding ourselves of the gospel daily. This also teaches us we need each other. Peter may have been humiliated, publicly humiliated, devastated. But remember, this wasn't the first time Peter was publicly rebuked. Remember, Jesus' conversation with Peter. Oh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, you got it right, Peter. And then Peter says, not so, Lord. You're not going to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's in front of all the other disciples. It's like, oh. Peter learned how to receive rebuke and not resent it, but grow from it. I believe Peter recognized his error here in Galatians, here in Antioch, where Paul confronted him. I believe he recognized his error. Ultimately, he came to thank Paul for caring about him enough to rebuke him, to correct him, to point him back to the gospel. In his final letter, Second Peter, Peter refers to Paul as our beloved brother. Our 
beloved brother. He refers to Paul's letters as scripture alongside the Old Testament of equal weight with the Old Testament. We need each other. We need love and correction to keep in step with the gospel. We need each other because we can't see our own blind spots. We often can't see where we are out of step with the gospel. Oh, you can see it in somebody else. We often can't see it in ourselves. We can't see where we're out of step with the gospel until a brother or sister who loves us points it out to us. We're told in 2 Timothy, the scriptures are profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. We are called to reprove, rebuke, to exhort with complete patience and teaching. Those are uncomfortable words. I don't like to be rebuked. Especially not publicly. Sometimes we need it. And we need to learn how to receive it with grace and humility and grow from it, not resent it. We're called in Colossians 3 to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And as that word marinates our souls, we are then to teach and to admonish one another. That's talking to all of us. That's the one anothering that's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. From everybody to everybody, one another, teach, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and then teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And maybe do it in a song. Maybe it'll come across better that way. I don't know how that works. Try it. We're to encourage, we're to build one another up. Sometimes in building someone up, we need to say, you're putting, you're putting your, you're planting your feet off the foundation, outside the gospel perimeter. It's not going to go well. Come. Be inside the gospel. The gospel must shape our community. Because God sought us out and brought us near while we were enemies, when we were far off. So we pursue others with the gospel, seek to introduce them to Jesus. Gospel shapes our community. Because God is patient with us, we are patient with those who do not yet believe. Because we have been forgiven. By God. Consider that for just pause, just stop, say, I'm a sinner. I know what I've done. I know what my heart looks like. I know who I am. God unilaterally wiped my slate clean. He paid the price on the cross, shedding the blood of his own son. My slate is 
wiped clean, I stand before him holy and cleansed. If God has done that for me, can I not forgive my brother, my sister, my enemy who's wronged me, who's sinned against me? We allow the gospel to shape our community, to shape our thinking. We've been forgiven. So that we forgive. Because God's process of sanctification, making us holy, takes time, we do not expect nor demand complete change in others overnight. How can you be acting that way? I can't patient is God patient with you because God treats us as holy even though we have such a long way to grow in holiness we can assume the best of others treat them as blood bought brothers and sisters because Jesus humbled himself, became obedient even to death, even death on the cross. We ought to walk in humility. Because Jesus extended self-sacrificial love to us who didn't deserve it, we ought to love and serve one another, even sacrificially. Because Jesus laid down his own life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We must allow Jesus to define the shape of our community. The community of blood-bought believers made one, baptized into, immersed with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, this community called the church. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we need a word of rebuke, a word of correction, a word of training in righteousness. Lord, help us have hearts that do not resent it, but receive it and grow from it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that keeps us safe. It tells us when we're out of bounds that guards us from falling off the edge. that invites us to build on the solid foundation Jesus Christ and the good news about Him attested to by the apostles and prophets the entire scriptures. Thank you, Jesus. For laying down your life for sinners like us. So, So that we could begin to learn what it looks like to live in community, 
with living, blood-bought stones cemented together by Jesus through the Holy Spirit into a unity. And Lord, we understand it's messy. And sometimes we get hurt, but Lord, I pray that you would give us gospel mindfulness to begin to treat one another as you have in your grace and kindness treated us. Help us to love and serve one another even if that means a loving rebuke, correction. Lord, thank you for caring about us so deeply that you pursued us all the way to the cross. And Lord, may that gospel take shape in your church globally. Lord, your church is bigger than this small representation of it here in Ephraim, Utah. I pray that your church, your true people across the globe would would allow you to shape our community. And Lord, please shape this local expression of your church by the gospel, by you, Jesus. Where we are out of line, correct us and bring us into line with the gospel. Thank you that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. To be at work in our church body for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to invite some of the men to come and prepare to serve us communion. This is an opportunity for us to, together as the body of believers, as the church family, to remember together our unity, our blood-bought unity. Salvation is an individual thing. Whoever believes has received the forgiveness of sins. Whoever believes each individual that puts their faith in Jesus is immersed in the Holy Spirit. But you're immersed into a unity, into something bigger, an organism bigger than yourself. A blood-bought people. A people for his own possession. Owned and loved by Jesus. Treasured by Him. So consider as we serve bread and juice what that cost. What it cost to purchase your forgiveness. And what you've become a part of. And delight in the fact that you've been made. You've been made part of something that Jesus loves. He loves His church and gave Himself up for her. Bigger than this is bigger than you. This is us. And we receive together the gospel today. So consider that as you serve bread and juice. Once we've all been served, we'll give thanks and, and, and receive that together as, 
as a body of believers. Jesus, what an amazing thing it is that you you looked at our mess. This messy thing we call the church, you call your church, your bride. And said, I love her and I will give myself up for her to make her mine. Thank you that you don't demand we clean ourselves up in order to be fit to come into your presence. You take us as we are and you do the cleaning and the transforming work in us and through us and the lives of people around us. Thank you for your work. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your sanctifying work in us and help us to be not hard and resistant but pliable in your hands moldable and shapeable into ultimately you want to shape us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ so our lives are shaped by the gospel would you do that in us So that day by day we come to be more and more in line with the good news we proclaim and believe. More in line with the with our king, with our rescuer, with our friend whom we worship today. Thank you Jesus for, for pouring out your blood, allowing your body to be broken. So that we today could receive life from your hand. His body broken for you. Take and eat. His blood poured out to wash us clean and make us drink. 